Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris, and I had a lovely break. Thanks very much indeed for asking. Not least because for a few weeks I could go to the movies without worrying too much about what I thought of them. Pretty good, pretty stupid, and a bit boring. That was the extent of my critical appraisals, which is a pity because some of the biggest and best movies of the year tend to come out in the holiday season. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one, too. Certainly, summer blockbusters are important to the studios. They often determine whether there'll be any more of them this time next year. But that nervousness is starting to look a bit obvious. The major hits, the last James Bond, No Time to Die, and Spider-Man, No Way Home, honestly looked as if the producers were given monster budgets to finish the two series with a bang. When you botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man... We started getting some visitors. From every universe. Spider-Man in particular threw in virtually every single element from every single previous Spider-Man there's ever been. As Michael Caine said in the rather more sensibly sized 60s blockbuster The Italian Job, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. But the holidays aren't just the season for big crowd pleasers. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. It's also traditionally the last chance to get your Oscar hopeful in front of the Academy. And because movie producers have such a pessimistic view of the memories of Academy voters, they tend to put out most of their prospects at or around New Year's Eve. Can you keep a secret? Father, son, and house of Gucci. The announcement this week of the Oscar nominations was mostly a formality. Most of the leading titles had already been anointed by the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs and all the rest. And the five titles leading the charge are fairly predictable in every sense of the word. There's a 100% chance that we're all going to die! Hey. Hey. <laughs> well, the handsome astronomer can come back anytime, but the yelling lady, mm, not, so not so much. 
There's the enjoyable but lightweight Don't Look Up and Thinking Man's blockbuster Dune, despite only covering half of the first book. There's the triumphant return of Dame Jane Campion and her rather divisive western The Power of the Dog. I wonder what little lady made these. I did, sir. The other two frontrunners are both semi-autobiographies and both, coincidentally, set within a couple of years of each other. From 1973 Los Angeles came Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, while this week sees the release of Sir Kenneth Branagh's Memories of His Hometown Belfast, set in 1970 Northern Ireland at the moment when all hell was about to break loose. So we're going to have to leave Belfast. We'll fight this together. This is it. This is what? This is war. It's a very hard-headed film director who can resist the temptation sooner or later to tell the story of their childhood in exhaustive detail. Maybe it's the closest thing we can have to a time machine, carrying us back to a beautifully art-directed and better-acted version of our past. That's the problem. Very few filmmakers are tough enough to be brutally honest about their own loved ones. We all have a story to tell. But what makes each one different is not how the story ends, but rather the place where it begins. One notable exception was the wonderful Roma made by Alfonso Cuaron, but he had the good sense not to put himself in the centre, instead making a film about his beloved family housekeeper. But Belfast sees a ten-year-old version of Kenneth Branagh, lightly fictionalised as Buddy, at a very specific time and place, the street where he lived in August 1969. You think me and that girl have a future? Well, why the heck not? You know she's a Catholic. And you call me here? Yes! You know who you are. You're Buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. The opening shot is almost too good to be true. Buddy and his friends playing in the streets in immaculate black and white. Why is memory always rendered in black and white? There are grown-ups on their doorsteps, cups of tea in hand, gossiping about clothes and football. And then it all changes. Be good, son. If you can't be good, be careful. And that thought will keep you safe. A gang of thugs smash up the neighbourhood on the pretext that the few Catholics who live in a predominantly Protestant street should be ejected, violently if necessary. It's the start, we're told, of the euphemistically named Troubles. We're looking to cleanse the community. You wouldn't want to be the old man out in this street. You touch my family and I'll kill you. Was that our side that done all that? There is no our side and their side in our street. Well, there didn't used to be anyway. But it's clear that Kenneth Branagh, who wrote as well as directed Belfast, isn't particularly interested in documentary accuracy. This is a love letter to his youth and particularly his family. There's immaculate builder dad, Jamie Dornan, forced to spend much of his time over the water in England trying to pay back his tax arrears. It's the building trade. I told you it doesn't work the normal way. I told you I had it covered. I was the one who had it covered. No, you had us spend three years of back tax. To keep you out of bloody jail. We're drowning in debt. We're near done with the back tax. 
There's glamorous mum, the lovely Katrina Balfe, who has two roles. She's the fierce Celtic tiger mother who'll do anything for her two boys, Buddy and Will, and she's the loyal wife. Will she stand by her man when he decides they may have to leave the old hometown? We're living in a civil war. What do you want? I want my family with me. I want you. Kids the same age as ours are getting killed. We can give these boys a better chance than we ever had. And they're a granny and pop. Judy Dench is as good as always, and I suspect the main reason for the long queues at my local cinema. But even better, to my mind, is the great Kieran Hines as Buddy's grandfather. He's the heart of the film, and he also does a nice job disguising the occasional cheesiness of the lines Branner has handed him. My mask says if we went across the water, we wouldn't understand the way we talk. Shouldn't be a problem. I've been married to your granny for 50 years. I've never understood a word you said. <laughs> what do you want? I want you and my granny to come too. Branner might have been advised to get a real writer in to polish the script, which suffers a little because Sir Ken can't quite bring himself to be unkind to any of his characters. The best moments are almost accidental. Buddy being lured by his teenage cousin into trashing a shop and being left holding a packet of washing powder. Pops impromptu quotes from Camelot. How to handle oh. a woman There's a way, said the wise old man <coughs> Have I known by every woman since the whole rigmarole? Yes, all yeah. rigmarole with you, mister. And I'm sure most significantly, Buddy's regular visits to the films with his family. Westerns like High Noon and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Family entertainments like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, providing the only colour in a mostly black and white film. Kids the same age as ours are getting killed around the corner. I'll be careful. You can't be with them 24 hours a day. You can't take away their childhood either. You could complain, and later I did complain, that Belfast, despite the copious awards and nominations, is too soft-hearted for its own good. What might directors like Ken Loach or Stephen Frears have made of this material? Possibly because it isn't their beloved early childhood. How could I leave Belfast? Everybody likes them and everybody looks after them. Belfast will still be here when you get back. Will you? I'm going nowhere you won't find me. But it's Branagh's heart-on-his-sleeve approach that makes Belfast what it is. Young Jude Hill as Buddy is very endearing, playing him as an Ulster Charlie Brown from Peanuts, complete with a thwarted romance with a little Catholic girl in his class. Maybe I could step at the top desk. Oh, wait till she gets back there. Well, you could say the moon's made of green cheese and drop down a place. Or you could do the project together, you and the young lady. You get the same marks and maybe end up on the same seat together. And the glamorous Jamie Dornan and Katrina Bell finally conquered my resistance, lip-syncing and dancing to Love Affair's Everlasting Love and a scene set in a This Never Happened 1969 karaoke bar at the end. Strange how potent cheap music is, as another Kenneth Branagh idol, Noel Coward, once said.
Another film based firmly in its director's youth is India's Sweets and Spices, the first feature of one Geeta Malik. Malik may have been brought up in Colorado, but her background is entirely Indian, and this film is the old story of someone like her trying to juggle two cultures. I'm so happy you're home, Alia. Did you cut your hair? Yes. Well, it'll grow back. But while the cast, writer and director are almost entirely of Indian descent, including Bollywood superstar Manisha Koirala as the mother, Sheila Kapoor, all the producers and most of the crew aren't. And that may explain a certain disparity in tone. Now, beta, it's time to get your ass home. Fly safe, eat something. Bring compression socks for the plane. <laughs> and you know... Rahul's back in town. Wear something pretty tonight, no? Okay, auntie, why don't you tell him to wear something pretty, hmm? Bye! Films about Indian families for Western audiences, I'm thinking of comedies like Bend It Like Beckham, Monsoon Wedding and the rest, are often about negotiating very specific rules of behaviour. There are things you can mention, there are things you can't. The pressure is on to either be a successful professional or marry one. I don't want to make the same mistakes my parents did and end up in this world of lies. I don't want to live in a house full of fake Swedish books. They're fake? Huh. Who knew? In other words, they have a lot in common with the equally mannered novels of Jane Austen. In fact, there was an Indian version of Jane's greatest hit called Bride and Prejudice. This particular variation sees Alia, the Lizzie Bennet character, home from college in Los Angeles and back in suburban Ruby Hill, ruled by her snobby mother. My mom, queen of Ruby Hill. Aunties, all they do is sit around and gossip. <laughs> you too. When should we start our wedding shopping, eh? Ah, that's so annoying. Every weekend, there's another party hosted by another Ruby Hill Indian hostess. The parties are all roughly the same. Young people seen but not heard, fathers talking about business in their golf swing, and the dreaded aunties gossiping and bad-mouthing each other. Hey, Alia, your mom needs you to go to the Indian store to buy some biscuits for the party. What? Why can't you go? I'm golfing, see? I'm relaxing, see? One day, yes, the plot is finally on its way, Alia is sent to the local convenience store, the India Sweets and Spices, to pick up the many biscuits needed to make an Indian party go with a swing. And there she sees Varan. I'm looking for some biscuits. Mom, where are the biscuits? You're restocking them, Varun. Varen's family has just bought the shop and they know no one in town. Alia gets a rush of blood to the head and invites them to the next party. What can she be thinking? We're throwing this dinner thing next Saturday. You're new in town. You guys should come. You sure your parents won't mind? You invited who? A local shopkeeper. We are running a charity service, huh? Sure, aunties without borders. Her mother gets up on her high horse, but the damage is done. Varun and his parents arrive looking uncomfortable, until his mother, Bhairavi, looks across the crowded room and recognises Sheila. They went to university in Delhi together. However, Sheila would prefer not to be reminded of those days. You guys came! Sheila, is this really you? 
It's me, Bhairavi, Delhi University. How things have changed since then. Indeed. Alia is bewildered by Ravi's memories of her mother are nothing like her own experiences. Has mum got hidden depths? And what about dad? He's clearly covering up his own secrets and lies. Alia presses by Ravi for more details. Your mother was incredibly brave. What was this, like a feminist club or something? <laughs> or something. Parents are full of surprises. Our parents are full of sh- Okay. On top of everything, will Alia be bullied into an arranged marriage? Or will she remain with poor but glamorous Varun? Pride or prejudice? Sense or sensibility? All right, when I said films like India, Sweets and Spices owe something to Jane Austen, I don't want to raise anyone's hopes. It also owes a lot to American soaps and rom-coms with its easy cracks at suburban hypocrisy. Your kid got caught having a three-way in the school gym. Yours failed his physics final and cried in front of the entire class. Yours is actually just a pothead. We all think she's pretty cool. Savage. But just as Jane Austen appeals to a wider audience than simply students of 19th century rural England, films like this are likely to reach anyone with an immigrant background, trying to reconcile their lives with that of their parents. How nice to not have to worry about money. I'm nothing like these no, people. No, 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 you're exactly like these people. Back then, my life was complicated. I want your life to be simple, easy. That's not what I want. And, of course, the old Mills and Boone staple, rich girl, poor boy, is unlikely to go out of fashion any time soon. Go to India Sweets and Spices for the frocks and the food, stay for the attractive performances and the Bollywood guarantee of a happy ending. What if we are who we are and then everything changes and we don't recognise ourselves anymore? You live in a strange world. Yep. The name Pedro Almodovar conjures up some terrific films, but even more so it's synonymous with some very risky ones. Only the legendary Spanish director could get away with stories like Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, All About My Mother, Talk To Her and the deeply creepy The Skin I Live In. Gender switches, porn stars and mental patients, women in a coma, the shocks were part of the deal with Pedro. A mí me encanta la idea de tener un hijo contigo, Janice, pero no sé si puedo permitírmelo ahora. No es cuestión de si podemos permitírnoslo. Es cuestión de que ya está aquí. But in his new film, Parallel Mothers, Almodova gives the shocks a rest in favor of two stories that have been on his mind for decades, apparently. First, there's the brutal history of the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s. <laughs> Photographer Janice, Almodovar's longtime muse Penelope Cruz, urges historian Arturo to excavate the grave outside her village where dozens of her relatives were massacred by the fascists. Arturo is keen, though he's clearly keener on Janice herself. Then cut to a year later in a maternity ward. Estás casada. No. ¿Y tú? Yo? No. Pues somos madres solteras. Lo mío fue un accidente, pero estoy tan contenta. 
A very pregnant Janice. Arturo seems to be out of the picture now. Shares the room with teenage Anna, equally pregnant but far less happy about it. The two women talk, bond and have their babies at the same time. No estás solita, no? No, estoy con mi madre. Vale. Pero ella todavía no se ha hecho la idea. Pues ya se la hará. The two mothers come from very different backgrounds. Janice, in her 40s and independent, is ready to have a baby. And being a solo mother is a bit of a family tradition. She never even met her own father. Anna may have two parents, but they're less than supportive, particularly her totally self-centred actress mother. Yo no puedo perder esta oportunidad. Si dejo la compañía, no volvería a trabajar nunca más. Pues vete de gira. Mum has clearly chosen her career over her grandmotherly duties. So Anna has to look after her newborn baby girl pretty much on her own and surprises herself by warming to the job. Meanwhile, Janice bonds with her own daughter, Cecilia, even though everyone constantly remarks on the lack of family resemblance. Janice presumes the baby takes after her own long-lost exotic father. But then Arturo reappears on the scene, initially wanting to be part of his daughter's life and then having very strong doubts about her paternity. He wants a test immediately. Now, obviously, there are twists and turns to come, but less obviously, not quite the ones you may have been expecting from the one-time bad boy of Spanish cinema. People occasionally behave badly, but mostly they try to rectify matters, however difficult that may be. The character of Janice in particular is volatile and unpredictable, swinging between what's best for her and what's right. There are questions of identity to be addressed, not just the identity of the babies and their mothers, but also the identity of Spain itself. Pero necesito trabajar. Los actores son todos de izquierdas. ¿Tú de qué eres? Yo soy a política. Mi trabajo es gustarle a todo el mundo. Pero ¿y tu hija dónde está? When young Anna displays total ignorance about the civil war, who were the fascists anyway and why does it matter? Janice is furious. The direct victims of the crimes may be nearly all dead now, but Spain, as a country, can't go forward, she says, until the stories of the past are confronted and dealt with. Sí. Arturo, soy Janice. ¿Estás en Madrid? Sí, pasado. Which in many ways is what Parallel Mothers is about. The title eventually makes poetic sense when you get to the end. Now, I admit you're not going to get much sense of the story from these idiomatic Spanish clips or from me carefully treading on eggshells not to give away anything prematurely. But frankly, the names Pedro Almodovar and Penelope Cruz are usually a solid guarantee of quality, and this is no exception. The well-deserved Oscar nomination for Penelope is really just the icing on the cake. 
And that brings this week's show to a close. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.